Well, if you have your Bibles with you, hold them up with me right now, and then repeat after me, this is God's Word. I believe it is true. It teaches me how to know God and how to live for God. Its words have the power to change my life. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the Old Testament book of Zephaniah, the minor prophet Zephaniah. This past week, I had the privilege of going with my wife and over 5,000 other women to a Mary Kay seminar. And it was a busy week and a tiring week filled with meetings and celebrations and teaching. This past year, Mary Kay North America got a new president. And as he became president, he immediately came up with three imperatives that he wanted to lead and guide him as he went through his first year with Mary Kay. And the very first imperative was this, all in. You need to be all in with Mary Kay. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about being all in, there are several things that I think about. I think about giving my all. I think about laying it all on the line. I think about holding nothing back. I, I think about being sold out, giving my best. And from the time he became president until seminar last week, and it's still going on right now, everything that they have done has been all about being all in. It's been on the cover of their magazines. It's, it's on their t-shirts that they sell. Everywhere you turn, you see that phrase, all in. Now the truth is, the message of this book, the Bible, is all about being all in. And the message of the book of Zephaniah is all about being all in. You see, the Bible clearly teaches that God expects us to be all in when it comes to our relationship with Him. Now let me give you a little background if I can as we begin. The book of Zephaniah was written by the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah, one of Judah's most famous rulers. So Zedekiah, Zephaniah had royal blood coursing through his veins. He wasn't just some ordinary preacher on the street corner. He was of the royal lineage of David. Now the name Zephaniah literally means he whom the Lord hides or the Lord protects. I love what it says in Psalm 27 verse 5. The psalmist said this. He said, for in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. I don't know about you, but it's comforting to me to know that my God is going to watch over me. He is going to protect me. He is going to keep me safe until he is ready to call me home. You say, well, Rocky, I, I look at people and, and it doesn't seem like they are being kept safe. Well, I, I can't answer 
to how other people live their life. I can't answer for what is going on in their life. And being kept safe and protecting you doesn't mean that storms won't come. It doesn't mean that trouble won't come your way. But what it does mean is until the Lord is ready to call you home, to be with Him, He is going to watch over you, He is going to protect you, and He is going to guide you. Now Zephaniah preached during the reign of Josiah. If you want to read a little history about what happened during Josiah's reign, you can read about it in 2 Kings 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Josiah was only eight years old when he became king. At age 16, he had an encounter with God that changed his life forever. I want you to understand this morning that if you're here and you call yourself a Christ follower, you are not a Christ follower because you got baptized in a pool or because you walked forward in a church service or because someone led you through some prayer. You are a Christ follower because there was a point in time when you had an encounter with the living God that was so real that it rocked your world and it changed everything about your life from that point on. And so at 16, Josiah had that kind of encounter. By age 20, he was leading his people to get rid of their pagan shrines and their pagan idols. At age 26, they were doing a renovation of the temple. And while they were renovating the temple, they found God's law. They found God's word. And as they began to read God's word, they were convicted. And they were overcome with shame because they realized that they were not living in a way that was pleasing to a holy God. And so Josiah called the people to, to a time of repentance. The Bible tells us that, that all the people, young and old, came together and they experienced a revival. Now, this book, Zephaniah, was, was written shortly before that time. The reason that we believe it was written before that time is because as you read the three chapters of Zephaniah, you don't read about a people who are experiencing a revival. You're reading about a people that need to experience a revival. And as you look at chapter 2, you discover that, that Zephaniah is writing before the fall of Nineveh. So he is writing shortly before, before the fall of the Assyrian Empire. And so here is Zephaniah. He is proclaiming this word to the people that they need to repent and turn back to God. Now, unfortunately, when that revival did come, it was short-lived. It didn't last very long. Because within 25 years of Josiah's death, God judged Judah. Jerusalem was destroyed. And the people were taken into captivity. Warren Wiersbe says this about this period of time. He says the people got rid of the idols in their homes, but they did not get rid of the idols in their hearts. And I think that's what we oftentimes do. We make an outward showing 
of our zeal and our commitment to Jesus Christ. We, we give the outward signs that we are all in, that we're sold out, that we've given our all to Him. But where it really counts in our hearts, we still have those idols of old leading us and guiding us. Now Zephaniah repeated the, the same message that every other prophet had preached when it was given to the, to the nation of Judah. He begins by telling them that they have rebelled against God and because of their rebellion, judgment was coming. The words that, that Zephaniah uses in chapter 1 show us just how serious our sin is in God's eyes. Listen to what he says in, in verses 2 through 4. He says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth. I will sweep away people and animals alike. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and, and the fish of the sea. I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble. I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth. I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fist and destroy every last trace of their Baal worship. I will sweep away everything. I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth. That reminds us, doesn't it, of that time in, in the past when, when the people got so vile, they, they got so filled with sin, they were so evil that God said enough is enough. God brought a flood and he destroyed all humanity and all animals except Noah's family and those that were spared on the ark. God's saying right here that there's coming a day when God is once again going to destroy everything because of the sins of the world. Understand. Most people say that, that this passage right here is perhaps the most intense and sobering warning of judgment found anywhere in Scripture. God is, is not just a little displeased with the rebellion and sin. God is deeply angry. And let me remind you that this message is given to God's chosen people. It's given to people who were specifically chosen by God, but God was saying that even they were going to experience the judgment of God. Please listen. We're living in a culture today that, that doesn't ever talk about God's judgment. We, we hear about God's love. We hear about God's acceptance. But we never hear about God's judgment. But there's coming a day when God is going to judge all sin. God is going to judge all rebellion. And most of us, even in this room, have the idea that, that God's judgment is going to begin with those people who are out there. But the Bible tells us that judgment begins with the house of God. The Bible tells us that we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. Uh, that's why Zephaniah continues in, in chapter 2 by telling the people that they need to repent before the fierce fury of the Lord falls. Before the terrible day of the Lord's anger begins. You see, there is coming a day 
when God is going to judge the world, make no mistake. So Zephaniah says, repent while there is still time. And finally, in in chapter 3, he gives us that promise that so many of the other promises give, and that is that, that eventually God will redeem and God will restore a remnant. In chapter 3, verse 9, God says this. He says, I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. There's coming a day when all of those who know the Lord and love the Lord will be able to worship Him together around the throne of God. But what I want us to do this morning for the next few minutes is I want us to answer the question, What does it mean to be all in with God? Because in my opinion, that's the important truth that we read in this book. Judgment was coming because they were not all in. They needed to repent because they were not all in. God expects us to be all in. And the truth is, there aren't a lot of us today There aren't a lot of us who call ourselves Christians who who are all in. The 2014 census revealed that 70% of Americans identified themselves as Christian. But I I think we would all agree that 70% of Americans aren't Christians living out their faith. Now some of you will say, well Rocky, that's very judgmental, but listen. If 70% of Americans were real Christians, instead of simply cultural Christians, we wouldn't have the problems that we have today. We wouldn't have the problems with poverty. We wouldn't have the problems with children going to bed hungry. We wouldn't be debating abortion and, and gay marriage. We wouldn't have the violence, the crime, and the greed that is rampant. We wouldn't be struggling with alcoholism and drug abuse like we are. We wouldn't still be dealing with racism in our nation if 70% of us were truly all-in Christians rather than cultural Christians. If 70% of Americans were Christians, 70% of Americans were truly in love with Jesus, our nation would look different. And because our nation would look different, I'm here to tell you that our world would look different. But what you need to understand is this. The Bible never gives us two different distinct groups of Christians. The Bible never says that there are all-in followers And there are cultural followers. The Bible makes it clear that that God expects us to be all in or we're nothing. And so what does it mean to be all in? Let me give you four things. First of all, if we are all in, we will have undivided loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Listen to what it says in verse 5. For they go to their roofs and 
bow down to the sun, the moon, and the stars. They claim to follow the Lord, but then they worship Molech too. The people of God were worshiping God, but they were bowing down to the sun, the moon, and the stars. They were worshiping Molech, a Canaanite god as well. Now what you need to see here is they, they never stopped worshiping God. They just added to the worship of the one true God, the worship of all of these pagan gods. And yet, God never gave them that option. God never said, you can worship me and you can worship other gods. God always demanded undivided loyalty. The very first commandment he gave was, I am the Lord your God. You must have no other God but me. In Deuteronomy, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. When they were about to enter the promised land, Joshua gave the people a choice. He said, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse, then choose today whom you will serve. You can't serve God and serve other gods. When we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus telling us that no one can serve two masters. He said, if you want to follow me, you must hate your mother, your father, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and yes, even your own life. And then you can follow me. It is very clear when we look at God's word from the beginning to the end that God says, I will never tolerate rivals for my love and for my worship. God is a jealous God. Now some of you, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, I don't worship other gods. But can you really say that? What about the God of money? What about the God of success and career? What about the God of sexual fulfillment? What about the God of children? What about the God of happiness? So many people today say, well, God wants me to be happy. Happiness seems to be the number one thing. Would you be honest for just a moment? Can you say right here, right now, before God, that you love Him more than anything or anyone else? Can you say with a sincere heart that your loyalty to Him trumps everything else in your life? Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, said this. He said, the human heart makes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance, security, safety, and fulfillment if we attain them. Though we claim allegiance to Jesus, we often divide our allegiance and chase other things rather than wholeheartedly pursuing Christ. 
You see, the Bible says that we must choose to follow Jesus wholeheartedly or we're not choosing to follow him at all. There is no room for middle ground. You see, being all in requires undivided loyalty. But there's a second thing we see in, in, in Zephaniah, and that is being all in means that I will stick with it. Look at, look at verse 6. He says, and I will destroy those who used to worship me, but now no longer do. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessings. Did you get that? Who used to but no longer do. You see, it's not how we start, it's how we finish if we're really all in. You see, it's easy to follow the Lord when the emotional excitement is there, when the blessings are falling, when the decisions are easy. But it's when the emotions die down and we don't feel a thing. It's when the blessings aren't coming. It's when we have to make the tough decisions that we determine whether we are really all in or not. It's when you wonder whether God is there. It's when you wonder whether God cares or not that will determine whether you're all in or not. They used to. If you look back, you will think of the names of a lot of people who used to. We all know them. We used to worship with them. We used to be in small groups with them. We used to pray with them. We used to serve with them. We used to even go on mission trips with them. But that was used to. The world is filled with people who used to. They were baptized, they served, they gave. But that was used to. Not anymore. And oh, trust me, I know they all have their reasons. I've heard the reasons. Something happened. And then they tell what happened. I went through this tragedy. I went through this difficult time. And God wasn't there. Or someone did something. Someone said something that hurt my feelings. Or someone didn't do something. I needed some help and no one helped me. You see, people who used to, they have all kind of reasons for why they used to. But the fact of the matter is, is they used to. Here's what I've come to understand. One, undivided loyalty. And two, stick with it go together. When I have undivided loyalty, I will stick with it. I understand you're going to face tough times. I understand you're going to come to the point in your life where the desires of your flesh clash with the Word of God. And you're going to have to determine what you are going to do. And what you are going to do will determine whether you stick with it or whether you used to. Here's what Jesus said. He said, those 
who endure to the end will be saved. Now what does that mean? Well, it means those who endure to the end will be saved. You you say, Rocky, what about my loved one who used to, but they, they aren't living for Jesus anymore, but they did this when they were young. What about them? To be honest with you, I can't answer the question on them any more than I can answer the question on my son. I don't know. You see, I have a hope, though, faith, that my son's with Jesus. I look at a decision he made earlier, I look at some things that happened in his life, and I I go, it seems like that it was real, it was genuine, but but I don't know. I, I don't know. Not a day goes by that I don't think about that. But here's what I know. You don't want to breathe your last breath being a used to. You see, if you're all in, you've got an undivided loyalty to Jesus. If you're all in, you're going to stick with it to the end. Third, if you're all in, you're never going to settle. Look at verse 12. I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to punish those who sit complacent in their sins. They think the Lord will do nothing to them, either good or or bad now this passage literally says those who were settled on their lees l-e-e-s now, i've got to be honest with you I, i'm not the sharpest tack in the shed i'm not the brightest light bulb in the house and i had no clue what lees were and so i had to look it up in an english dictionary and then i looked it up in the hebrew dictionary and what I discovered is the word lees comes from wine making lees is is the settlement that goes to the bottom of the vat when you're making wine it's the the worthless stuff uh, the stuff that you dip out you don't want to get any of it in your teeth much less you don't want it going down your throat And that word, settled for lees, came to mean complacent or indifferent. It is the Old Testament equivalent of what the risen Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, you are lukewarm. You see, people who settle find themselves going through the motions. People who settle do enough just to get by. People who settle... Go through life checking the boxes. What I've discovered is that people who settle most often make excuses for why they don't or why they couldn't. But all-in people, they somehow find a way and make a way to make it happen. So you don't settle. You don't become complacent. You don't get used to just going through the motions and checking the box. If you want to be all in, you've got to have undivided loyalty to Jesus. If you want to be all in, you're going to stick with it to the end. If you want to be all in, you're never going to settle for anything less than your best. 
And finally, if you're going to be all in, it requires humility. The, the best place that you see this is in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, I will remove all proud and arrogant people from among you. There will no longer be haughtiness on my holy mountain. Those who are left will be lowly and humble, for it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. You see, being all in never results in pride. If someone is, is giving hints of spiritual pride, they're not all in with Jesus. They're all in to themselves. When you're all in with Jesus, it's always going to result in humility, the realization that everything we have, everything that we do is a gift from God. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, if I had only one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. It's our pride that leads to our downfall. So are you all in? Here's what I know. The people of Judah weren't. Because even though there was this surface revival, within one generation, God judged them and sent them into captivity for 70 years. So if we're not all in, what do we need to do? Well, the Bible says we need to repent. Listen to the words of Zephaniah in chapter 2. He said, gather before judgment begins, before your time to repent is blown away like chaff. Did you get that? You need to repent before your time of repentance blows away. In other words, hear me, there will come a point in time when repentance is no longer available. Act now before the fierce fury of the Lord falls and the terrible day of the Lord's anger begins. Seek the Lord, all who are humble. Follow his command. Seek to do what is right and live humbly. Perhaps even yet the Lord will protect you. What do we need to do? Well, I'm here to tell you, we need to repent. Now, some of you are saying, no, Rocky, we need to have faith. I want you to listen very carefully. It is only through repentance that faith can be expressed and grace can be experienced. Let me say that to you again. It is only through the vehicle of repentance that true faith will ever be expressed and God's grace will ever really be experienced. If you sit back and say you trusted in Jesus, but it wasn't repentance that brought you to that place of faith, you never experienced biblical faith. And you need to understand that repentance isn't just acknowledging our sins, Repentance is changing our behavior. That's what he says here. He says, follow his commands. 
seek to do what is right. Repentance is when we come to that point when we realize that we have sinned, we have rebelled against a holy God, and under conviction we fall before Him asking for His forgiveness, turning from our sin. And then in faith, we trust in His mercy and His grace for the forgiveness for our sins. I love what it says in Zephaniah 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, on that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Did you get that? There is coming a day when God is going to sing. And he's going to sing over us who are with him and redeemed forever. I don't know about you, but I want my God to sing over me. And here's what I know. If I want my God to sing over me, then in my heart of hearts, there's got to be that desire to be all in with Him. So are you all in? Do you have an undivided loyalty to Him? Are you willing to stick with it in the good and the bad? Are you willing to stick with Him when your flesh tells you one thing, but God's Word tells you something else? Are you willing to do that? Are you going to make the commitment to never settle for less than giving God your best? And are you going to live in humility, recognizing that everything you have and everything you could possibly do is a gift from God? It's what it means to be all in. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes with me. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. I want you to understand right here, right now, that, that being all in is what God asks. God, God never says, hey, why, why don't you just acknowledge that I'm God and everything will be okay? God never says, hey, if you believe with your mind that Jesus came to this earth and died and rose from the grave, you've got a place in heaven. God never said that. God always called those whom he was calling to be all in. And so if you're here and you haven't made that kind of commitment to him today, and I'm asking you. I'm begging you. Go all in with him. Give him your all. Quit playing games. Don't just go through the motions. Be all in. The Spirit of God speaking to your heart this morning. And, and you know that that's something that you need to do.
then I want to encourage you right here, right now, and in the silence of this moment, to just, with a humble heart, pray this prayer to Him. Dear God, I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin before you. I've sinned against you. I've rebelled. I've lived as if I were God. Please forgive me. So tired of living that way. Today, I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning to you. Father, I'm asking you to save me. I really believe Jesus came to this earth, died on a cross, rose from the grave so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have power to live for you. Today, I'm trusting you. Today, I'm giving my life to you. Today, I'm telling you I'm all in. Fill me with your spirit. Make me bread you, I pray. Amen.